Good morning, good morning. <clears throat> Hope you guys all had a good Christmas and New Year. I certainly did. I did nothing. I did no work whatsoever. The only work I did was respond to Lily's um, team's message about something. I did no other work. I ignored everybody else. Um, all right, here we go. We're going to start today in Luke chapter 24 and then grab... Um, Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> which we may get to if we have a moment. And then maybe, 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 James chapter 4, we'll see. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Happy 2024. Father, thank you for you. Thank you, God, for this space. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your love poured out over us once again in the new year. Thank you, God, that you are still on the throne and you will be forevermore. And because of who you are, there's nothing in this life for us to worry about, nothing for us to grow anxious in, nothing, God, for us to lose sleep over, nothing to fear, nothing to doubt, uh, no reason, God, to feel any holes in our life. But thank you, God, that you have provided all things for us. Every good thing, God, that we could possibly want, every good thing that we could possibly need. And as we step into uh, another year, God, of walking with you, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, increase our ability to know you and to recognize you and walk closely to you. Help us to stay close, God, to who you are. Help us, God, to s us to Stay close, God, in the choices we make and the way that we live in the things that we long for to stay close to you, God, to know you more than we've ever known you before. At the end of this year, God, what we want, Lord, is not fame or riches, uh, but what we want, Lord, is to know that we've walked closer, Lord. What we want, Lord, is to know that we've followed faithfully. What we want, Lord, is to know that you are pleased with the things that you see in us with a worship that has come out of our hearts, with the sacrifices that have been made with our hands, with the labor and the work and, and the righteousness. And, and I just pray, Lord, that you would make it true in this church, that you would make it true, God, in every single one of us. Glorify yourself in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, new year, new stuff. Well, all birds are back. Danny and Angela are wearing them again, and uh, for a while, I, I think we were wearing QNs, or whatever they're called, uh, which, but you know, you s stick with it, and uh, everything comes for a circle, so you can pull out your Allbirds again from your closet if you've um, put it in the back shelf because you thought it wasn't fashionable anymore. I heard that somebody tried to rob Ariel, which um, I immediately, when I heard that, felt sorry for the guy. Yeah. Is imagine that you're planning to, you know, rob somebody, and uh, and uh, you get into the apartment, and it's Ariel there. I mean, that's just that's just a bad day. That that's just, you know, if if you believe in signs and wonders, uh, that that's that's the Lord speaking to you. You're not taking anything today, son, and you just you just need to go home. And so I was very concerned for him, uh, but um, uh, so anyways. Robbers, be warned, choose your apartments wisely. Uh, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to start today, a story that's familiar to us, and uh, let's get going. 
Verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, the two of them actually um, ends up being an important uh, part of this story. So the two of whom? Uh, two of the disciples. So in the first part of uh, Luke chapter 24, um, Jesus is uh, risen from the dead, right? Uh, and he's revealed himself to the first few, but not to most of the apostles. And so, um, uh, and so uh, Peter tells him what happens, um, but most people have not, have not seen him and, uh, and, and they're marveling and they, they, they separate evidently. And so verse 13, that very day, two of them, which is two of the disciples, people that uh, knew Jesus well, supposed to have known Jesus well, we're going from a village, uh, we're going um, to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's a long walk, not for Joanne, for the rest of us. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And as they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Hey, that's a good verse. Okay, there was significantly less excitement about that than there should have been. As while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Am I in the wrong church? I feel like, did we take too long of a break? That's a great, that's, that's a great verse. Like, that's like the prayer of my life. That's like what I want. You know, it's just like whenever you're going about doing your stuff, Jesus would draw near to you himself and go with you in all the things. That you, is there anything else you want? Like, how is there so little excitement? I don't understand. Um, first, it's okay. First week of the year. All right. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, therein lies uh, something of an uh, unfriendly contradiction, an unfriendly tension, that Jesus can be near to you, and at the same time, he can keep you from recognizing him. Why would he want to do that? Let's just read the rest of the story first. And then he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said, what things? And he said, God can play dumb too. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. Do you see the irony in this conversation? That he is standing there before him. It's one of those moments in scripture that like, you have to imagine the scene and then you have to wonder like, at the, the majesty of God and the beauty of what you're reading and also just how fantastic it is they are standing there, uh, <laughs> um, not recognizing him, even though he has intentionally drawn near to him. They do not recognize him because they have been prevented from recognizing him. Now they're talking to him about the fact that nobody has seen him. And all of this by God's design, actually. 
And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if they were, he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to him. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose the same hour and turned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how it was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Your ability to recognize him is one of the most important things in life, because one of the great things that most Christians think they suffer is isolation and loneliness. And one of the most important things that you and I could possibly do is learn to recognize the presence of God as he is with us. But here's a problem. Um, if God wanted to reveal himself to us in such a way that we could see him, he could obviously do that. But he doesn't always do that. It, uh, he sometimes, as in this story, intentionally hides himself. It, in other words, it is this paradox, right? Because you and I are in our prayer closets like, oh God, we just want to be near you. And, and, and the thing though is that God can be near you and keep you from knowing that he is near to you. See, he says he will never leave you nor forsake you, but he does not say that you will always know that he is with you. Do, do you and, and that's his design. Like, that's his design. There is a transition that the disciples experience that you're seeing uh, uh, the, uh, the swing, the moment of the, the swing in this scripture, right? For three years, he walked with them, he talked with them, he napped with them, he prayed, he didn't pray with them, <laughs> but you know, but, but he prayed while they, I mean, I mean, they saw him, they heard him, they touched him, they hugged him, they, they, they broke bread with him, they, they, they did all these things, right? And then suddenly it transitions and he's not, he's with them in the exact same way. It says that he drew near to them, right? Like, he, he, was, he was with them in the exact same way, and yet, because the purposes of God and because his designs and his desires have changed, now he is as close to them as he ever was, but they, by God's design, are not allowed to know that he is with them. And he expects us to live in that reality. Okay. <laughs> um, so then how... Uh, how do we know then that he is with us? What, what if we cannot see him? I remember in, in I think Second Peter chapter one it says, "Though you have not seen him, yet you have loved him." And and it, it, though you have not seen him, does not mean he's far off in heaven. He doesn't care about you. It, that's not what it means at all. He's always with you, never forsake you. Like, I mean, there are a few things that cause you to leave God, but but but. You know, but the thing is that, like, though you've not seen him, does not mean that he's far off. Though you've not seen him, means that he's 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 potentially right next to you, but your eyes have been prevented from 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 seeing who he is. 
Now, this is not a reality that we as Christians are just like, just like running to embrace. Yeah, I love to not see you, God, is not something that anybody has ever said, except just that. <laughs> but like, that's not the sort of prayer that we pray. Like, God, be with me, but make sure that I don't know you and I don't see you. Like, that's, uh, that's not the kind of prayer we pray. We want to see him. Eyes wide open. You know, we want to see the man of glory. We want to see the shining and the glory and all that stuff. There's not always his will. And so they get to Emmaus, they go into the thing, and, and, and they don't recognize him. They, they don't even recognize him, despite the wisdom that he's obviously manifesting. They're at table, they break the bed, all of a sudden their eyes open. And here's the thing, as soon as they're able to see him, he disappears. Right? As soon as they're able to see him, he disappears. What does that say to you? That says to you that he doesn't want to relate to them that way anymore. Right? Okay, and so then the very next line, right? That very next line, right? Um, he vanished, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? There's that line, it, it, there's something in there, a lesson about how God wants to relate to us now, not by the things that we can see, not by the things that are physically, definitively, provable uh, 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 you know, unquestionable, but he relates to us now in, in the burning of our hearts, and he expects us to know that he is near, not because we can see his face, not because his glory is like, you know, but, but because there's something in our hearts that, that is sensitive to who he is and what he's like and his nature, that when our hearts burn, we know that our hearts are burning. And we know we can, did you, does that make any sense? That we can recognize them differently than they used to recognize them in days past. It, it, it does not, um, it, uh, oh gosh, sometimes uh, as Christians, all we want to do is go back to the old glory days. But God actually has a different agenda today. There's something, there's a different way in which he desires to relate to us. There's a different way in which he desires for us to know him. And, and the, that it's not necessarily the way we want to know him. Sometimes the way that we want to know him is that you know, we're feeling sad and we'd love for Jesus to appear you know, as we're sitting on the corner of our bed next to us and give us a hug and tell us, you know, you know, though you've suffered many things, I am with you, here's a hug, here's a Kleenex. Um, sometimes we want to relate to him that way, but, uh, but he, he relates to us not that way. He relates to us just in the burning of our hearts, which gives us the conviction that he is near. He is as near as if we could see him with our very eyes. There's a posture that, um, uh, that I think God desires for us to be in, which uh, let, let's jump for, to Matthew chapter seven, and we're gonna come back to this uh, in a, a little, uh, in a moment here. Uh, Matthew chapter seven, some of the most famous verses in the New Testament, starting in verse seven, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, do you believe, actually, that what Jesus says is true? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. However, there is a way for God to give to you, and you do not know that you have received. There is a way for God to allow you to find something, but you do not know that you have found it. And there is a way for a door to be opened to you, but you don't know that God has opened it. And it's this paradox where God is able to draw, uh, to draw near and yet hide himself from us at the very same time. And very difficult. 
very difficult because what happens is we ask for something, God gives it to us, but we don't recognize the giving of it. And because we don't recognize the giving of it, uh, we believe that God has ignored us, he doesn't care about us, he's forsaken us, he, doesn't, he hasn't answered our prayers, we should keep praying. But in actual reality, he's given to us. One of the um, best examples that people point out all the time is um, sometimes we ask for the tree and God gives us a seed. You know, we're like, oh, we love some apples. God's like, here is a seed that you can plant in your garden. And, uh, and has he given it to you in a certain sense? Has he given it to you in the sense that you want? No, but, but, he, but he has given it to you, yes? Like, so there, there's a confidence that we actually need to have as believers that when we ask, that we do get. And when we seek, we do find. And when we knock, it is open to us. However, we cannot be led astray by our eyes and the things that our eyes don't see. Do, does that make any sense? I, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. So, like, like sometimes uh, we would rather believe in what we can see and what we can discern than believe uh, in God's faithfulness. It, it, it's just like, these guys on the road, it's, it's like, you know, Jesus is drawn near to you and yet he's prevented you from knowing it. And so you did not, you have no idea. You, you, you're not clued into the fact that, that he is with you even though your hearts are burning. You're looking for a manifestation that God refuses to give and so you ignore the one that's available to you. In life, we all like to be led uh, very, in very dramatic ways. Um, it's very wonderful when somebody stands up in church and they have to make a decision, you know, uh, uh, you know, Princeton or Yale, and the angel, the Gabriel appears to him, blows the trumpet, God, this is the will of the Lord, go to Princeton. I've, Gabriel's never said that, I don't think. I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Try to offend some more people uh, a little bit longer. Uh, so so um, that's the way that we like to be led, right? The way that we don't like to be led is we're praying, I really don't know, but I, I just have this slight, this slight inclination in my heart one way or the other, and so I choose that way. That's not, that's not the stuff of good testimonies. You know? like nobody says, well, you had an inclination, brother? Praise God. You know, the Lord is faithful. And yet that's the way that he expects us to, to, to relate to him. That's, that's y'all, I've never in my life heard the audible word of the Lord. I've never seen an angel. I've never, except perhaps in a dream. I don't, you know, <laughs> you know, I've never, no. Like every decision I make pretty much is based on inclination and peace. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. Would I prefer to walk with Jesus in such a way that he's right here and he takes a step and I'm like, whoop, you know, like I, I would very much, I would very much. But that walk is not really, it's not necessarily, it's, it's not, um, it's not like, oh, if you were more prophetic, then you would hear God more. It's that sometimes that's not the will of God to relate to us that way. Sometimes the will of God is to give us nothing more than just a nudge in our heart and, and for us to be sensitive enough and delicate enough um, uh, uh, to his presence and to his, uh, uh, to his nearness that the, the, um, a simple inclination of our, a simple a feeling, a thought, a nudge uh, is enough you know, for, us to, uh, for us to tilt that way. I don't know if you've ever experienced coincidences in life, like all of a sudden you're, you're, you're thinking about you know, someone that you haven't thought about in a while, you know, a couple months it's gone by. You 
You know, and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, I wonder how brother so-and-so is doing. And, and something big happens in their life, you know, that day or that week. Or, or they text you and they say, hey, we're thinking about you. Actually, this happens to me um, with, uh, th- there's, there's a few guys where, like, every time I'm thinking of them, I'm not someone who, like, when I'm thinking of someone, usually I'll be like, oh, Lord, bless them. And, uh, you know, I'll pray for them for, for a moment. But I won't text them because I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm, you know. I'm not there yet. I'm still growing in my personability. I'm still growing in my relational skills. So I, I, I don't usually text them. But what is embarrassing is like 95% of the time, like they'll text me because that person will be, you know, a better human than I am. And so they'll text me and then I'll be embarrassed. And they'll, they'll be like, hey, brother, I was just thinking about you this morning. And I'd be like, rats. Like I was thinking about you first. I just, I just didn't say anything. And, and, and then I'm like, well, should I tell you, hey, I was thinking about you too? Because that sounds so fake. You know what I mean? Like what are the chances that two people out of the blue would think about each other on the same day in the same hour? I mean, the Holy Ghost, like that's like all the time. But then, you know, because you're second and that just sounds so fake. And I don't like to sound fake, you know, like I don't know how to make it not sound fake. Like, oh, I was thinking about you too. This is like, God bless you. We love you. Be blessed. It's 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 bad, but but there's but because it's there's a journey, you know. We we learn to recognize over time that those little things were actually, you know, the nudges of the heart. The um, that I just suddenly had a memory. Oh, you suddenly came into my mind. Uh, uh, you know, I certainly had great affection for someone. Just you know, randomly. Like th- those are not. Th- we need to learn to recognize. Um, the voice of the Holy Spirit, the, the closest of Jesus, uh, as he draws close to us in certain ways, um, that has nothing to do with Jesus. Like, like, you, you, like, does that make any sense? And without learning to recognize in those ways, we may not see him at all in this life. Like, that may be the only option he makes available to us to recognize his nearness to us. And here's the thing. The tragedy is that we think that he's not with us at all because we don't see him. We think that because we feel lonely because, uh, yeah, you know, we're working really hard at work or because things are going on in our family or because there's uncertainty in life that he's not with us. He is. It, we just, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not attuned to the way that he's drawing near to us. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Okay, fine. So who is it that does not receive? Who is it that does not find? Who is it uh, that the door is not open to them? The one who is not asking, the one who is not seeking, and the one who is not knocking. Who are the disciples that Jesus did not appear to? The ones that were not on the road to Emmaus. While... They were traveling on the road to Emmaus. Jesus drew near to them. One of the great conditions of God being near to you is that you need to be in motion. Not physically, otherwise I would be in trouble. (laughs) But your life needs to be in motion. The Bible does not say, it doesn't matter whether you ask or not. Your Your favorite reformed teacher will tell you that. It doesn't really matter if you ask or not. God is sovereign. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, ask and you receive. To the one who asks, it will be given. The condition for Jesus drawing near to you is that your life must be in motion. That's uncomfortable to us because we typically, we, we're not, we don't, we like to be comfortable. And comfortable means familiar for most of us. We don't like 
to have a life that is constantly in motion. Do you have a favorite burger joint? Some of you may, some of you may not. I do. It's called Cheesecake Factory. Do you have a favorite burger joint? When you're feeling like a burger, you're typically not feeling like, you know, I should really try somewhere I've never tried before. You're feeling like, no, I want the thing that I know is good. Does that ring true to anyone? Or like, you want a bubble tea, right? Like, you know where the good bubble tea is. Well, if you don't, Janet knows where the good bubble tea is. And, and um, it's not like, you know, I, I, I just, I always want to try something new. I don't. I, I like to stick with the things that I know to be good. Does that make any sense? I like to stick to the, to the uh, yes, the things that I know to be good. Um, the, the, the problem is that that comes from a, a human tendency of ours um, to, pr uh, to prefer the things that are familiar rather than the things that are, that are not. But, but in God, um, it's the as you are doing something, as your life is in motion, that is the place in which he encounters you. Uh, remember when Jesus said, go, and as you go, comma, X, Y, and Z, and, and, and the, the things were in which God is in do you, do you remember that? And what's the first part of that command? Go. You, you can't be healing the sick, raising the dead, casting demons if you're not going. You're like, it, it, it's not like I sit here on my couch, and the dead people just appear in front of me, and I just, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, it, this is not how it works. It's like, as you are going, the Lord begins to stir up things in your life. The Lord begins to come near to you. The Lord begins to make himself close to you. The Lord begins to intervene in your life. The Lord begins to speak to you. The Lord begins to make himself known as you are going. The fact that they were going to Emmaus and what they were doing in Emmaus, totally irrelevant. They never accomplished their mission. Do you remember? They got from the dinner table, they're like, let's go right back to Jerusalem because God encountered us along the way. So what they were going to do in Emmaus irrelevant. What they were hoping to do in Emmaus, irrelevant. Why they were going to Emmaus, irrelevant. The point is that as their life was in motion, God encountered them in that, in that place of motion, okay? The, the, the place where God is least likely to encounter you is on your bed playing a computer game or something like that, you know, mining your Bitcoin portfolio. Like, that's the place where God is least likely to encounter you. Like, literally anything else is better. Sometimes we're super worried about, we're hyper worried about efficiency and productivity and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, why try a new restaurant when I already like this one? And you know, why go to that neighborhood if, if mine is so great? And, you know, wh why try this and why do that? And why go all the way over here? And why drive to that city? And why go a far distance? And, and why expend ourselves in, in something that, you know, can be uh, done much more easily? It's because in the going is where the encounter of the Lord happens. And sometimes it matters less where you are going than the fact that you you were going somewhere. Does that make any sense? Like sometimes it doesn't matter as much which soup kitchen you're volunteering in as much as it matters that you're volunteering somewhere. Like, like, but we obsess about those things, right? If you like try to buy a, a camera or something like that. You know, you spend like 66 hours like researching exactly which one and how, and then you get it and you use it like 25 minutes and you put it in your drawer, you never touch it again. Like we are people of that sort. We, we spend so much of our time and energy trying to make sure the going is in the right direction, the right way, and the right, do I have the right shoes, do I have the right jacket, do I have the right backpack, do I have the right everything, and, and then like finally it's like, oh, I take three steps, oh, I'm tired, let me go home. That's not the way for us to find God. 
the way for us to find God is to spend a lot of time in our life going. That doesn't mean wandering around in circles. It doesn't mean like doing things for the sake of doing it. That's not what it means. But it means like having a, 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 an in motion uh, kind of preference, if, if, that, if that makes any sense. Do you know? A preference to be in motion rather than to be static. Um, I, I mean that in a fairly abstract sense, so that can mean something different for everybody in this room. But, but, but it's, it's an orientation that you begin to gain in this life where it's like, the things that I can already do well, I don't want to just do those things. I want to do the things that I can't do well. I want to participate in the things that I don't know. I, I want to, do you know, I want to reach out into the unknown. I want to hike a path I've never been down before. I don't want to go to the same park that I've been 47 times for the last 10 years. Do, do you know? I, I want to see a waterfall I've never seen. I, I want to camp somewhere I've never camped. It's, it's that orientation that, that continues to put you in a place where Jesus decides to come and to walk next to you in that moment. It doesn't seem like a magical thing at all, honestly. It doesn't seem magical to be an explorer, to be a wanderer, to be uh, someone who is curious, inquisitive, someone who is willing to, to, you know, to get their butt off the sofa. Like, it doesn't seem magical, but there is something about, like God emphasizes this, this attribute of, of just being in motion, being in action, you know, while doing this, while going about that, while you know, traveling in this way, while going there. Like there's something about being a pilgrim, not like, like, you know, six years ago, but like permanently in life um, that, that, that creates room for the expansion of, of God's activity in your life. Um, one of the, I, uh, years ago, I met a guy who when he was young, he was one of the uh, most uh, um, uh, bold, courageous, uh, evangelistic, miracle-working men, uh, uh, perhaps in the world. God used him in a, in a, uh, uh, to, to avoid um, telling you his name. I'm not gonna tell you exactly where or when, but uh, decades ago, it was one of the main leaders of a very significant move of God where they saw all sorts of miracles, right? dead raisings and walking in water and what, just, every, just all sorts of miracles. It was well known for being um, a, a, a very powerful move of God. And uh, I didn't meet him then because that was many decades ago. And I met him years later where he was close to retirement. And whenever he got up to pre, and, and, and at that time he'd gotten out of the uh, evangelistic church building stuff, because that stuff is hard work. You know, it's going somewhere new, and sometimes it's, you know, monsoon season, and sometimes you get flooded, and sometimes you get pulled away, and sometimes, like, you know, it's hard work. And so what happened is that he, he'd written a couple books that had uh, gotten, uh, gotten him some, some fame, and he decided to come to the West and become an itinerant speaker. And, and so I, I um, uh, met him and I heard him speak many decades after, and, and it was amazing to me that he had no new stories from the last 40 years of his life, or 30 years, or whatever it was. Every sermon you get up and you tell stories of when he was 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, when he was bold and he went for it and he planted churches and, and he, he ran into the wilderness and, 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 and all sorts of things happened and, 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 and then he decided to write books and then he decided to sell those books and decided to itinerate and go around the world telling people about the things that had happened in those books in his life. And I said to myself, this was uh, years ago, many years ago, I was probably 20 or 21 or 22 or something, and I said to myself, what a shame that the greatest moments in your life are from the time that you were young. It was not because he became a, a, a sinful man. It was, it was not, I, I, I don't, at least I don't think so. I mean, there's no obvious in his life. I, I don't think it was that. I, I don't think it was because, I think it was because the going got tiring and he figured it was easier to stop going and to start selling books and to start telling people about the, all the places that I've been. Do you know? 
I joke sometimes about arriving. You should never arrive. As the book of Hebrews reminds us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chose to live in tents on the earth because they thought that they were citizens of heaven. And, and to not, you know, be unclear about where their citizenship was, they'd rather live in a tent on the earth than belong somewhere permanently and, and, and risk settling into a place where they were comfortable with the life that they had. I am amazed because they certainly had the wealth to build cities. Like it wasn't for lack of money that they didn't have a house. No, they, they didn't have a house because they'd rather be on the go because that's what God had called them to. God had called them to a, a land that was far off. They, here's the stunning thing. They were living in it. Like they were in the promised land as they were looking for the prom, like for the, because the promised land was not a piece of dirt. The promised land is, is, is when you arrive before the face of God. And what God has called every single one of us to do is to be in motion as we are arriving. Like, do, do you understand? And never be to the, well, this is the land that God has called me to. Let's just settle down and build the biggest house that we can and cows, <laughs> you know, and corn. And like, like uh, it was nothing wrong with being a farmer. It's, it's uh, and they were actually. It's, it's, not, it's not that. It's the attitude that this is where I'll be for the, this is, this is all I want. I've arrived. There's nothing more on this earth. It's that attitude. Of course, there are some things that are permanent. You know, God calls us to one family. It's not like, you know, you've been my dad for 10 years. I should really get another one. Like, of course, there are some things that are permanent. God calls you to a group of people. You stay with them forever. Uh, you know, God calls you to a, a, a missions ground and, and, and you give your life to it. Of course, there, there are things that are permanent, but there's, there's something in the heart that just continues to wander, that continues to explore, that continues to question, that continues to push further than anything you've ever been. And the question is, honestly, whether we can sustain that in our life over a long period of time. Can we continue asking? Like, like do we ever get to the place where we've asked enough of God and God has given us enough, we've received enough from him that we don't need to ask? And like, does that make any sense? Like, you ever get to the point where it's like, I'm wise enough. I'm rich enough, I'm successful enough, my family is good enough, I don't need to ask God for it. Does that make any sense? Like, can, can we be people that like, don't feel that way anymore? Like, don't, or don't, don't feel that way ever, but just constantly, constantly, constantly are pushing forward, are pushing forward. I, what I want to encourage, one of the things that encourages me a lot is to see new interests and new hobbies and new um, expertise and, and, and new abilities and new desires come out of people. Like, uh, of course, we should not give up on the things that God has put in our hearts years ago. Like, of course, we should stay true to, to, to long-term things that God put, has put in us. But I, I, I love to see people asking new questions. I love to see people pressing into new things that, that are available you know, in God. Like, why should we not believe that God can use our lives to make a greater impact on the earth? Like, why should we not believe that there are more people that we can help? Why should we not believe that there's a greater impact that our prayers can make? Why should we not believe that we can worship in a more glorious way? Why should we look at ourselves and be like, you know, worship at church is pretty good. Like, why should we do that? Why should we not think, you know, that was fine, good even, maybe even great, you know, depends on the week. Like, maybe even, just kidding, it's always great when Sydney's playing. Maybe even great, but what if there is more? Do you know? Like, what, on, what if there is more? 
What if we could try things that have never been tried? What if we could sing songs that have never been sung? What if we could hit notes that have never been hit, except on a real whistle? Like, you know, what, what if, what, what if? And, and there's that, that, that spirit of, of just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing in God that brings Jesus himself. He, he, he's attracted to the motion. And so as they are going, he is drawing near to them, not in ways that their eyes can see, but in ways that their heart can feel. I, I hope that in this year, that every single person in this room will find themselves uh, in the middle of a project, in the middle of a pursuit, in the middle of a process where it, it is so challenging, it is so difficult, it, it's so beyond what they can do, what you can do, it's so beyond what you've done before that you feel God drawing near to you as you are feeling the reality of that challenge because you know that God is a God that draws near to people that are in motion, in progress, looking for him as they're wandering the earth. The only way that you can miss God as you're, as you're being active in this way is if you're seeking things that he has told you already not to seek. In Matthew 6, right above, he says, therefore, verse 31, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. You know these verses. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How on earth can you be seeking and yet not finding? It's when you're seeking things that he has told you, don't seek these things. So here's where a lot of Christians get stuck. Because we go out there and we do things and, and we expect God to encounter us and God doesn't encounter us and we're just like, well, God just doesn't care about me. No. What happened is that you went to go, you went looking for something God said, don't look for this. And then you expect God to be with you and bless you and make you a billionaire. But God said, don't look for this. What are those things? And he said, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? It's the, 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 the normal earthly concerns of life. God said, don't look for those things. If you're looking for those things and you don't find them, don't be surprised because those are not the things that I told you to look for. Does that sort of make any sense? It's like you can ask for anything other than it's just like when, when, when God said to Adam, you can eat of any tree except for, and if you eat this one, don't expect that I'm going to bless you. And what does Adam do? Oh, I wonder what that one tastes like. No, I mean, it's just like, come on, dude. Like all the melons in all the world, and you have to be like the one that God didn't. But, but it, it, it seems unreasonable until we look at ourselves and at all the Christians around us. Because God said, do not seek. What shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? And how much time do we spend worrying about those things? Do you know? It's like this very narrow range of things that God says, don't worry about that stuff. And that's what we spend all of our time worrying about. What are the drapes going to look like in my new house when I finally buy it? Like, it, it's just, we spend all of our time worrying about that stuff. And, and we wonder why we cannot find God as we are in this world. It's because we're, we're laboring towards something that he's not asked us to labor towards. Do you know? It, it, this is the problem. It's when we read verses like ask and you will receive, and then we think, oh, you can ask for anything. And then we're like, riches, and, and God doesn't give it to you. And you're like, God hates me. Do, do, like, do you see what the problem is? The problem is that like, it's not that, it's that he told you, don't eat that drink. And we ignored it. All right. James chapter 4. Uh, da, da, da. 
What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Verse 1, is it not this, that your passions are at war in you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, The language is very strong. I understand. I understand it's not very seeker-friendly. It's not particularly gentle, but, but the point needs to be made. God will encounter you in any pursuit except the pursuits that he specifically asked you not to have. Except the pursuits that are born out of what? Out of coveting, out of, out of anger, out of jealousy, out of greed. Like, does that make any sense? Like, God will encounter you in literally any pursuit. On a hike, on a walk, on a fishing trip, on, on a starting a new business, on, on like, 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 you know, trying to reach a village, trying to reach a campus, trying to start a soup kitchen. God will encounter you on literally any pursuit. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you're going to accomplish that thing you set out to do, just as the disciples didn't. What it means is that God will encounter you on the way. Does that make any sense? When you set out to do something, don't set, out, don't set your heart on accomplishing it. Set your heart on meeting God as you're doing it. And he will. He absolutely will. He absolutely will. But, but there are some exceptions, right? And one of these exceptions is what? It, it's, it's that like we, when we pursue things in friendship with the world, as James says, friendship of the world, uh, with the world is definitionally opposition to God. And so don't expect God to bless us in our pursuit of you know, riches and wealth and, and, and fame and, and fortune and, and you know, positions and, and, and the things that all the people, all the Gentiles seek. But if in your heart you can identify the things that the people around you who don't love Jesus, that they're not seeking, it's very easy to know what the Gentiles seek. Just, you know, go, go to work. And, and, and listen to the conversations by the water cooler. What are the things that people are seeking in this life? And if you can identify in your heart something, anything at all, that they're not seeking, and you can apply yourself to seeking that thing, guarantee you God will find you in that place. It's not hard to find God, actually. You just have to get out of your house abstractly abstractly, just to get out of your house uh, in such a way, uh, but, but not in such a way that, that, that the, the same way the world is doing it. You have to get out of your house in such a way that you're aiming for something that is different than what the world aims for. It's just that simple. And if you're able to do that, you would have, can't imagine the places where God will take you. I want to remind you of a story that um, I, I, I told a few years ago, and I think I've mentioned it twice. Continues to inspire me. There's a ministry that um, that that we uh, support um, called Asia Harvest. The founder of that ministry is a guy named Paul Hadaway, who um, doesn't speak, uh, uh, doesn't preach uh, itinerantly. Otherwise, we would have invited him a long time ago. He's got a wonderful testimony and his great heart. Um, and Asia Harvest is one of the most impactful ministries in Asia today that I that I know of. Um, when Paul was a young man, he, he found God in a, uh, a very dramatic way. It was a long story, but he but he found God and wandered the world looking for the will of God for him. And eventually found his way into Bible smuggling and landed in Kathmandu, which was um, uh, uh, 
a, a hub for Bible smuggling. And um, what they would do is um, there, there's, a, there's a, a Bible printing ministry in Kathmandu, and, um, uh, and you could be one of their donkeys, donkeys for Jesus. You go to Kathmandu, and there'd be local guides, Nepalese, uh, Nepal, no, uh, local guides, and, and you put a backpack full of Bibles on, on, on your back, and the idea was to take the, ba- um, the Bibles up the mountain into the villages where there are new churches, but not enough Bibles. And so that's what he did uh, early one morning. Um, he was a young man, uh, very strong, very young, very healthy, and, and, and this is the first great thing that he was going to go do for God. Do you remember the first great thing you were going to do for God? And this is the first great thing that he was going to do for God. And so he had a local guide, a Nepalese young man, and he's got a, a backpack full of Bibles on his back, and it's, you know, 50, 60 pounds or so, not light. Um, the way to get up the mountains is that you start by taking, I think it was a train, and get to the end of the train line, and then you take a bus, and the bus goes up the mountain. It's one of those not not Amtrak, not, not like, not Greyhound bus. It's you know, this rickety old thing on the mountain roads and there's holes and, and, and all this stuff and there's no seats in the bus. And so you're on top of the bus um, with your 50 pounds of Bibles and the, the bus is, it may or may not make it. And so he learned how to pray in tongues um, uh, for his life and they did eventually make it to the top of the mountain. And from the top of the mountain, um, you sleep in the motel one night, and then wake ne- the next day you wake up at the Krakodon, and you hike the entire day, and you get to the, uh, the village where you're supposed to be at. And so he's there, and he's hiking, and uh, by midday he realizes that his, his strength is giving out the altitude. He's from uh, New Zealand, I believe, and not used to the altitude, um, but this is you know, deep up into the Himalayas, and so at that altitude, as you all know, air difference, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a big strain on your lungs, and so he realizes his muscles are giving out. And uh, late in the afternoon, um, he gets to this place where slowly he's just, you know, he's slowing down, and his guide is like, you gotta go, we gotta go, because, you know, there's wolves and snakes and, and stuff in the mountain at night, and we can't, and leopards, and we can't be out here, otherwise we're gonna get eaten alive. And so, um, and so, so they're pushing as hard as he can. He's, he's pushing, but he just, he just, he, he just stumbling. And so, uh, a, a little before nightfall, He's high up in the mountains, and he just can't do it anymore. He just, he just, his body just gives up, and he just lays down on the on the side of the road with his, with his, uh, with his, with his backpack full of Bibles that he's going to go smuggle into that village. And this Nepalese kid says, "Sorry, dude, I'm gonna pray for you, but like I gotta go." And and he says, "Okay, well, you get going then." And so, um, the the his guy takes off, and he never sees him again, and um, and he's there. Uh, on the side of a mountain, suffering from altitude sickness, and his lungs have filled up with, uh, with water, because that's just that's that's what happens to you. And, and so he's suffocating, um, and he's he's drowning. Like without drowning, he's drowning in his in his lungs. And he he knows exactly what's happened to him because he read a little pamphlet about altitude sickness um, at the Bible distribution center a couple days ago. As he was preparing to go up the mountain, he just didn't prepare himself. Um, he ascended too quickly and didn't prepare himself correctly. And he's there on the side of the road, and he realizes that he's going to die all by himself on the side of a mountain in the Himalayas with no one there but a, a backpack full of Bibles on his back. So realizing that he's going to die, he takes one of the Bibles out of, out of his pack, and he, he says to himself, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well have an open Bible next to me so that people who find me know that I died faithful to the word of God. And then he thought to himself, he's like, God, I'm, I'm such a self-righteous person. What's wrong with me? And so he opens to Psalm 91, which you probably all know. He begins to read, and he begins to feel the supernatural peace of the Lord that's coming over him. And he realizes, oh, I'm dying now. Because he'd heard that this is what Christians feel before they die. 
and you see the, the, the suffocating feeling in his lungs is still there. And, he, um, and, and as he's reading Psalm 91, we're reciting, he's believing, he's like, God, I'm so sorry, I'm a failure. I'm so sorry I didn't do anything for you in this life. I'm so sorry, the very first thing I tried to do, I failed. Here I am, you know, going to heaven, but please, <laughs> you know, don't kick me out. And so he's praying this, and suddenly his spirit lifts out of his body. And, uh, and he says, oh, that's it. And, and his spirit rises about 10,000 feet above the mountain where he's in. And right next to the mountain, there's a gigantic valley. And, um, and his spirit is hovering there, and he begins to see a vision of um, hundreds of different minority groups in Asia with their ethnic wear. And they, they come into the valley, and they're all worshiping the Lord. And these are minority groups that traditionally are not. They're not Christians. And at that time, they didn't have a gospel witness. And he sees hundreds of them, and they fill this valley, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people. And, and they're, they're worshiping the Lord with all of their might. And, and he's wondering, like, what on earth is this? And, and, and he knows in his spirit that it, that it is a picture of the revival, of, of the work that God is going to do in Southeast Asia in the years to come to bring all these tribes into the kingdom. And he says, well, what good is that? I'm dead, <laughs> you know? And, um, and then as the vision ends all of a sudden, his spirit, boom, drops back into his body. But he's still suffocating. He's not, he's, he's, he, I don't know if he died or he didn't die. He doesn't quite know, but he's still suffocating. And, and he's there and he's like, oh God, now I'm gonna die slowly. And he's still there, still feeling bad for himself. And suddenly he hears cowbells um, in the distance and uh, he has no idea what those are. He thinks that they're angels coming for him. And he hears them getting louder and louder and louder. And suddenly a donkey comes over the horizon with a man, uh, a local uh, a Nepalese man. And the, the man finds him and, and sees uh, this foreigner, this, uh, you know, this white-skinned guy in the middle of the mountains in, in, in Nepal and, and realizes what has happened to him. And so he puts him on the back of the donkey uh, which reminds you of a, a certain Bible story, and then grabs a bag of Bibles and puts it on his donkey and walks him to the local uh, village. He throws the young man at the door of a, uh, a widow uh, in the village, um, and, uh, and the Bible is there and, and takes donkey and keeps going and um, tells the woman what's happened and then keeps going. The woman comes out and she has a little basement under her house, and so she sticks the guy there and, um, and, uh, and gives him some hot water and and, and says, I mean, they can't communicate with each other. And, and, uh, but she begins to take care of him and give him soup and slowly nurses him back to health um, after a week. About a week later, he's feeling well enough to um, walk again and um, feeling like I spent the whole week um, feeling the biggest failure on the planet. You know, I'm going to change the world for Jesus, but can't carry a backpack full of Bibles up the mountain. Like, what's wrong with me? And, uh, and, um, and so after a week, he's, he's done feeling like a failure and he picks up his back of book of Bible and he goes back down the mountain the same way he comes, gets back on the bus, goes the other direction, gets back on the train, goes the other direction, goes back to the, uh, to the Bible Center in, in Kathmandu and, um, and they tell him that the Nepalese guide accomplished his mission and, and came back and, and said, you know, that guy may have died. <laughs> and, and so and he takes his Bibles out of his backpack and he puts them back on the shelf where he got them. Thus ends his Bible smuggling trek. And he sits there feeling like the biggest failure in the world, in the entire world. And spends years actually trying to figure out his ministry and his life and, and there's a whole lot to his story which I won't tell. Suffice it to say, 30 years later, he is, I think, the most successful Bible smuggling ministry in the world. They've distributed 14 million Bibles, I believe, 
uh, in China and Southeast Asia. Um, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of evangelists in that area that depend exclusively on them for Bible production. Um, they're one of the main Bible smuggling ministries on the planet and um, done so much work. It, I, I could tell you all the stories of the things I admire him for. He's really a, a, a wonderful ministry that we've supported for a number of years now. What is the point? The point is that it, it's not a question of whether you make it to Emmaus. The question is whether Jesus encounters you on the way. But we are trained to believe that the end is the outcome that we are aiming for. So it's not like, oh, I took the SATs. It's what score did I get? It's not like, oh, I applied for colleges. It's, you know, where did you get in? But for a Christian, for a believer that believes in the sovereignty of God and believes in the guiding hand of God upon your life, that is exactly the wrong way to think. It's very unlikely that you will successfully accomplish everything you set out to accomplish. If you do, it's probably because you didn't pay attention to what God was doing in your life along the way. It's probably because you were so consumed getting to your destination, you completely missed the conversation Jesus was having with you as you were getting there. Does that make any sense? It's not our job to worship success or accomplishment. It's our job to discover the burning in our hearts day by day. It's our job to feel as we're going about our lives, that burning inside of us so we stop living for Emmaus when we start living for that burning. And it becomes irrelevant whether we make it to Emmaus. What's relevant is whether we can stay near that burning that is inside of us. Do you know? It's not so important whether we finally complete the audio Bible, although I hope that we do. Now, I believe that we will, but, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is, did you find God as you were walking down that road? Did you increase in wisdom, intimacy, devotion, understanding of him as you were assembling the chips and pie charm, like whatever, like, you know, did you, like, that's the question. The question is whether that happened. And if it didn't, what's the point of getting that PhD? What's the point of starting that billion dollar business? What's the point? if your heart wasn't burning on the way as you were doing that, do you know? There are some of us that are so unused to the feeling of, of that burning inside of us that we've just gotten used to living without it. It's like um, uh, there's, there's warm water and then there's hot water and there's boiling water, do you know? But if you don't know what boiling water tastes like on your tongue, uh, uh, hot water seems like really hot. It, it's, it's all relative. And sometimes for Christians, we're so unused to the feeling of Jesus being close to us that, that we, we, we pretend that things that are not him are him. And we need to stop. Like we need to learn to pay such close attention to Jesus being near us, but me not recognizing him, that we actually know what it feels like for our hearts to be on fire as we go through this life. It, um, not at all caring about you know, what, we act, you know, what we accomplish, what trophies we accumulate, but caring that every single day along the way that there is an encounter with him, that there is a nearness to him. I cannot see him, but I love him. I cannot see him, but I know that he's near. I cannot see him, but I know that he is with me, that he has guided me, that he's, that he's one step ahead of me every, every day of my life. And that's true. It doesn't matter whether I make it to my destination or whether I go back home because the destination became irrelevant when I discovered how close he drew to me as I was heading that way. Do you know? That's my prayer for you. 
and my hope for this church and for everything we do this year, not the pictures we get to take at the end of the journey, but that on the way that you would find that he's with you, that he's right here, that he's never gone, even if you can't see him, that you can feel him, even if you can't see him clearly, that you know that he's here. And if he is not, that you would have the sensitivity to go down a different route so that you can find him. That if, you would, if he is not, then you know, I'm seeking the wrong thing. I'm asking the wrong questions. I'm knocking on the wrong doors. I need to try something else. And then set your heart to that that one thing, do you know? Like, to get addicted to that feeling of the burning in the heart that says, God is with me right now. There's, there's no, no angels, no prophetic, no audible, but, but I know that Jesus has chosen to draw near to me as I am going down the road in life. I can stand up, let's pray. And we'll ask Sydney and the musicians to come back up and close this. Father, we pray that we would be a people that are never without you. And I pray that we would be a people that do not allow ourselves to get accustomed to what it's like living far from you. I pray that as a people that we would not grow accustomed to living by our own wisdom or our own preferences, that we would not make decisions off of what other people consider to be best, what other people consider to be uh, preferable. But Lord, that we would seek to know you in all of our ways. Father, I pray for the various challenges that we face. Some of us uh, entering new jobs or businesses or professions. Some of us applying to schools or applying to jobs or uh, looking for research funds or looking for a new visa, looking for a new home, looking for whatever it is. Father, I pray that as a people that we would enjoy, that we would glory in the feeling of being in motion rather than being still. Knowing, God, that it's as we go that we find you. That it's as we go that we become like you. That it's as we go, as we drive, as we fly, as we hike, as we run, as we swim, as we type, as we think, as we strive, as we take risks, as we do research, as we inquire, as we listen, as we learn, as we read your word, as we fast, as we starve ourselves, as we make sacrifices, as we build homes for others to live in, as we care about uh, how other people's children are doing or whether they are warm in the winter, and as we care about the state of your church around the world, as we empty ourselves of our earthly pleasures and give ourselves wholly to you, that you would draw near to us that you would make yourself known to us and that we would be so enamored, so consumed by the fulfillment of knowing you in that way, even if we cannot see you, that our heart beats for you, even if we cannot see you, that we have, are filled with the utter confidence that you're right there next to us. Father, I pray that that would be the reality that we as a church live in that we would not always be living for tomorrow, that we would not be living for that day that you bring revival to the campuses, that we would not be living for the day where the Great Commission is fulfilled, that we would not be living for the day where this happens or that happens, where I finally get a raise, or I finally get a promotion, or I finally have my own business, or I finally own a house, or I finally own a bigger house. Not be living for that day, but we would be living for today. Because today, there's no reason that our hearts should not burn. And we pray that they would. And we pray that we would know it. 
And we pray that you would lead us to that place that we would know you. In Jesus' name, amen.